Well, it is great to be with you guys this morning. I want to begin uh, the message today by reading the passage of Scripture that we're then going to look at uh, together, but I want to do it a little bit differently, okay? So here's the deal. Um, I don't know where you are right now. Like, you could be actually physically laying in bed right now, thinking that, you know, this is potentially the greatest church service that you've ever been to, and mostly because all you had to do is turn it on, like that's it, okay? You could be in the bathroom right now, in which case, we don't want to know that. Just keep that to yourself, all right? If you're chatting it up on Facebook, don't go, hey, I'm that guy, because that's, like, you'll regret that, all right? We don't want to know that. You might be sitting on the couch. I think that's probably the most likely place you're at. So you're on your couch, maybe you're in your kitchen, you're getting an extra cup of coffee, because you're thinking this is the sermon. Wherever you are, unless you're in the bathroom or it would be dangerous, what I'd like you to do is stand for the reading of God's Word. So if you guys would stand. I'm going to read a statement to you that Jesus, who is God made man, if you believe the Bible, standing on planet earth amongst us, is one of us, and he's talking to us about prayer. If you do personal worship at Rio, you've been in it all week long. You have an exhaustive understanding of it. I'm going to focus on the last part, the climactic statement where Jesus comes to us and says, look, for all the things that you ask the Father for, look, that's fine, that's good, that's great, but if you only had to choose one, here's the greatest gift that the Father has to offer. Jesus says this, he says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. And then he sets up a comparison that we all understand. We have a category for this. He calls to mind earthly fathers so that he can compare us in a moment to the perfect father. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, all right, well, instead of an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. He says, then if you then who are evil, they're not in comparison with each other. He's saying, look, in comparison with God, your heavenly father, all right, that's where you're at. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and then here it is, how much more will the Heavenly Father give what? Good gifts to his children? No. I mean, that's clearly the implication, but no. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? So here's what I want to do. You guys can be seated, thanks. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and then I want to ask for him. Just like that. All right, so let's start with this question. Who is the Holy Spirit? And I say that because I think that there are people out there who are wondering about this. This is a confusing aspect and element of Christianity. And the simple answer, which is not simple at all, but it is at least helpful, is that the Holy Spirit is one person in the triune God. What in the world does that mean? Because that's what you want me to tell you at this point. And I'm going to help you with it somewhat, but that's all I've got. Like, I mean, I have to reckon with the fact that, I mean, the reality is there's only so much of God I can grasp, and I hope that you realize that as well. I mean, the Bible comes to us with a God who is absolutely infinite. Creation suggests a God who is absolutely infinite, and the longer you live, the more finite you realize that you are. And in fact, the longer you live, in some ways, the more finite you become, more finite in your energy, more finite in your emotional capacities, more finite in your ability to do things. We're finite, guys, so we cannot reasonably expect to understand absolutely everything about a God who is infinite. 
So when I come across things like this that I can't fully understand, that I can't give you an example that completely exhausts, I'm okay with it because I realize, you know what, by nature, I should expect that to happen. I'm, I'm finite. God is infinite. I can only understand so much. And here's what I know. The Bible comes to us with one God who is in three persons, God the Father of whom Jesus speaks here. He is the giver of every good gift. God the Son, who is Jesus himself, standing on planet Earth in this instance, giving us this teaching, and God the Holy Spirit, who's the greatest gift. Like, he's the one that Jesus is going, guys, look, if you had to narrow it down to one request, like, this is it, you've got one shot, ask for one thing, ask for him. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He's one of the persons in the Trinity, but I think on a more practical level, on a way that maybe we can relate to a little bit better, God or the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God in those who possess him by faith in Jesus. And here's one of the things that all of us understand. It's that presence matters. Presence is a big deal. I remember years and years ago now when my grandfather died, this was my dad's dad, and he was the first person in my life that, that was really formative in my life that I then lost to death. And so I, I mean, it was, it was tough, okay? It was one of those moments. And we had the funeral down in Miami, and we had the viewing down in Miami, and I grew up down in Miami, and that's where they lived. And so Beth and I drove down. It was like a Thursday afternoon for the viewing, and it was just a total disaster, nightmare traffic situation. If you've ever tried to drive from here to Southwest Dade at rush hour, it's like a two-hour deal. And so finally we get down there. We get to the viewing. It's really small, which is exactly what we figured it would be. You know, it was just like family and a couple of friends maybe and some business associates of my dad and a couple of people from my grandparents' church who came to, to say, you know, their condolences to my grandmother. And that was really about it. And we were standing around talking, and I looked toward the back of the room and the door opens and Dave and Barb Ingram come walking into the viewing. And, and I was honestly dumbfounded. And I know that a lot of you out there don't even know who Dave and Barb Ingram are. Well, Dave Ingram was an associate pastor here for about 19 years until he died six years ago now from cancer. And his precious and amazing wife, Barb, who is equally awesome, was our preschool director here at our, our school and was the librarian as well. She worked in children's ministry at the church. Like just these guys were an institution at both our church and in our school. And I think in part because they understood the value of presence. Like they came walking in and I, I thought, what, what do you, what do you do? Like you could have sent flowers. You could have sent a card. You, you could have sent a text. You could have sent a call. I mean, the reality is I had already talked with Dave earlier that day. We had hugged it out. Like we were fine. The last thing they needed to do, and immediately I computed this because I had lived through it, is drive through two hours of traffic to come tell me something they had already come to tell me earlier in the day at the office. I said, Dave, what, what are you doing? Like you did not have to do this. But that's the point. They didn't have to do that. What does presence communicate? It communicates love. It communicates, I care for you. It communicates, I value you enough to show up. It, it says wondrous and amazing things. Beth and I experience this all the time. We go to see people in the hospital, and typically we go together. We like to do that. And the weird thing, at least from our perspective, is almost every time we get in the car afterwards and we're like a little bit dumbfounded that our presence in the hospital room mattered to the people we visited. Like we don't really 
you know, think we're that big of a deal. Like, I mean, if I was in the hospital and you said, oh, Tom and Beth Hendricks are coming, I'd say, yeah, send her. You know, like, she, she can come. And who else? You know, like, but what we've experienced is, no, actually, it means something. I remember going to visit Paul Garofalo, who with his wife, Marty, were longtime members of our church. They're both in heaven now. And Beth and I walked in at the same time into Paul's room. And like, I'm telling you, in less than a second when he saw us, he just burst into tears. Presence matters. And it matters because it tells you that you matter to the person who showed up. That's one of the many reasons why the gospel is so beautiful, guys. Don't you see it? Almighty God looks down upon a creation that has spurned him, that has said, go away, that has said, give me the gifts, but just don't give me any of the giver, like that it said, I want the good from you, but I don't want to have to do anything for you. I don't value you enough to live for you. Like, I mean, all of the above and then a whole lot more, right? He looks down upon us and yet he so loves us that flowers or a card or a text or a call or even a Zoom conference kind of a deal would not be enough for us. The Lord came. He came personally in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, and that's part of what makes the gospel so incredibly beautiful. I mean, you've got to see this. You have to realize that even though God looked down upon a creation that had spurned him, that had said, you know what, I'm going to live for me and not for you. I'm going to love me more than you. I want you to give me the gifts. I want the good things from you. I, mean, I want to pay you. I want you to pay attention to me when I need you. But other than that, I want you to leave me alone. He's given us everything. We gave him nothing. And he said, flowers were not enough for you. A card was not enough for you. A call was not enough for you. A text was not enough for you. I mean, it would have been cool if he zoomed us and we could record it, because, I don't know, that would just be cool. But that was not enough for us. He came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he defeated for us everything that has defeated us. He defeated sin and death. Selfishness and failure. He takes all of the messes that we've made. He turns them around and uses them for good. He creates out of our failures good things, even the most devastating things we've done when we give them to him. And having done that, oh, by the way, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, stands on planet Earth and says, hey, um, as if that's not enough, Ask, seek, and knock at the door of your father. He's a good father. He gives good gifts. It's the only kind of gift he gives. And you know what he wants to give you? His personal presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, to live in you. So that's who the Holy Spirit is. But I mean, like, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he does a lot of things, and we could talk about it all day and night, but let's just focus on power for a minute, because I think that we're in a moment in which we could use some power. And since we're talking about prayer, one of the things that he does is he brings power to our prayer. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Romans 8, verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, well, what weakness is that? Well, it's a weakness related to our prayers. All right, well, why are we weak in praying? Like, what is it that makes them weak? He says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, which implies, I think, not just that we don't know what to say. It's that we don't have the right approach. We don't have the right attitude. We don't have the right motives all of the time. Everything is mixed in me and mixed in you. 
And so what, is, what happens? He says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And here's what that means on a practical level. It means that when I pray, when you pray, we ought to approach the throne room of God with the kind of expectant, confident faith that says that when I pray, the Spirit of the living God who lives within me prays with me. He prays for me. He prays in me. He prays through me. And the Father in heaven hears me. He's moved by my prayers. The Holy Spirit makes it so. But not only that, he gives us power in our weakness just in general as well. Again, the Apostle Paul, who was stricken by some kind of a malady, and we don't know what it was, but it made him really weak. He said this in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 8. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this malady, that it should leave me. But he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you for my what? My power is made perfect where? In weakness. Why? Because my weakness drives me to do something that I'm not otherwise going to do. It's rely on the power of God. I want to control my life. You want to control your life as much as we can in our own power do things for ourselves. We want to do that because we can control it. But we're living in a moment that we can't control. We have been made weak. All of the things that are powerful around us have been exposed. God's like, listen, this this is my kind of moment right here. Like, Holy Spirit in you is power. But the primary way that the Holy Spirit exercises his power in and through us is through the spiritual gifts that he gives to us. And the gifts that God gives to us through the spirit who lives within us are very different from the kind of gifts that we give to each other, okay? And I'll use a bicycle as an example. If I come over and I give you a bicycle, here's the deal. The bicycle is not me. It's not going to be empowered by me. It's not attached to me. I don't energize it. Now, the best I can do is drop it off at your house. So now you have a new bike. You're welcome, okay? And it's yours from me. But if you're going to use the bike, you're going to have to get on the bike, you're going to have to pedal the bike, you're going to have to steer the bike, you're going to have to energize and operate the bike. That's the way that it works. But spiritual gifts are very different from that. Spiritual gifts are the gifts of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and they are energized by, they are directed by, they are pedaled, if you will, steered, guided by Him through us. It's the power of God at work by virtue of the power of the Spirit who lives within us. And you say, well, what are the gifts? Well, the, Holy Spirit, the New Testament comes to us with like 22 different gifts. But the most famous list of gifts is in 1 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul says this, beginning in verse 4. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who through the Holy Spirit is the idea, does what? Empowers them all in everyone who has faith in Jesus, for to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit through his gifts is the point, and not so that we can show off, not so that we can look good, not so that we can use them for our own benefit, but for the common good, that is to say, for the sake of others. And now he lists nine different gifts for us, and they're all remarkable. He says, for to one person is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. I think I experience that when I preach sometimes. You know, I mean, I'm I mean, I'm pretty dialed in on this thing. Like, I, I know what I'm going to say. I've planned it out. I've said it a hundred thousand times before I get up here. And so I know what it is. And it's common to be just rolling rolling along 
and have a Bible verse pop into my head that I didn't think about all week or have a person or a story pop into my head that I didn't think about all week or have some comment pop into my head that I didn't think about all week. And that's not me. That's him. And so I just go with it. And what I inevitably discover is that's the email that I get. That's the person who before all this would pull me aside after the service and go, man, that was for me. And I want to say, well, maybe it was for you, but it wasn't from me. I just got to be the mouthpiece in this instance. It's a spiritual gift. So to one person is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. That happens all the time too. I've had that happen to me where somebody comes to me or they text me in a particular moment that's like really profound and they say something to me and I'm like, good grief. How did you know to text me now? How did you know to say that? How did you know that that's what's happening in my life in this moment? They didn't until the Lord revealed that to them. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are, don't miss it, empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. And you say, well, man, you know, that sounds like really supernatural. I mean, good grief, listen to that list. And I guess my response to to that would be, well, yes, it actually is really supernatural. But so, if you think about it, is the expression of any spiritual gift, whether it's the gift of leadership or of prophecy, whether it's the gift of teaching or of healing, whether it's the gift of preaching or of miracles, it's all the same thing. It's the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you, rising up within you to empower and to use the gift that he himself has given to you. It's an expression of the power of the living God, no matter which instance you choose. But I think probably if you're asking that question, what you really want to know is whether I think that those kinds of more overtly, more obviously, more audibly, more visibly miraculous gifts are in operation today. And I would say, absolutely, I do believe that. And I think that if I say otherwise, A, I find myself in an argument with the Bible. And I think the best argument of the Bible is that they're valid. B, I find myself in an argument with our own missionaries. You know, we send these guys off to various places in the world and You know, they go off thinking, "Eh, you know, some of these gifts are operable, but some of these other ones, not so much. And then they come back and they tell you these stories and they're like, hey, man, I, I don't know what to tell you, but this person had cancer and now they don't. Stories of miracles. I find myself at odds then if I make that statement that, you know, with friends of mine here, part of other parts of the Christian family who have these gifts themselves and who are very sane, very reasonable, and very good with the Bible. I 100% affirm the reality that under the guise of the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, there are all kinds of excesses. And those excesses are frankly regrettable. They're embarrassing. In most cases, they're phony. They're self-serving. And I'm not a fan. But just because there's excess doesn't mean that there isn't also deficiency. And deficiency, too, it seems to me, is not good. And it's like Jesus is coming to us with this prayer, and he's going, okay, so if you had to ask for one thing, like if there's a thing you don't want to be deficient in, it's the Holy Spirit. 
He is the gift giver. He is the power. He is the presence. He is the living God living in you. And he works supernaturally. He does miracles. He just does. You know, I shared a couple of weeks ago that I've been reading about revivals, and and one of the last revivals that I read about, so it's kind of recent in my mind, is the Hebrides Revival. So the Hebrides is an archipelago. It's a collection of islands off the northwest coast of Scotland. And the northernmost island, and really probably the biggest island, is the Isle of Lewis. And so going back to 1949 in the Isle of Lewis, there were these two elderly ladies. They were sisters, Peggy Smith, who was blind, and Christine Smith, her sister, And she was bent over with an arthritic spinal condition. Both of them were disabled. They couldn't leave their cottage, really. They loved their pastor. They loved their church. They loved the people of their town. But they stayed home, and they just prayed for everything and for everyone, and they did it by name. And these ladies felt like they received a promise from the Lord. And it comes from Isaiah 44, verse 3. It says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they clung to that promise. They prayed that promise. They were unrelenting in that promise. And unbeknownst to them, on the other side of the island, there were seven young men gathering three nights a week in a barn to pray that God would send revival. All these guys gathered together three nights a week. Think about that. And they covenanted together. They said, we're going to make a pact, and here's the deal. We are not going to relent. We will give God no rest until he visits us by his spirit. And just an amazing and an unusual way that awakens the church. And one night as they gathered, one of these guys pulled out his Bible, and he said, guys, I've been reading this, and I want to share it with you because I think this is what's holding it back. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who's that? Jesus. Only. And on his knees, he lifted up his hands in this barn and he said, Oh, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? No, but by the blood of Christ, yes. And he fell on his face in the barn, as did the other guys, and they repented of their sins together, and the presence of God filled that barn where they were at. The next morning, God gave to blind Peggy Smith a vision. And it was a vision of revival on the Isle of Lewis. It was a vision of packed-out churches. It was a vision of hundreds of people coming to faith, particularly young people. And so she said to her pastor, look, I've seen it, though I'm physically blind, and it's coming. And he called the elders, and they prayed every night. And it didn't happen like in a day or in a week, and that's often the way that it works. It's not like it it just, you know, you walk over and go, hey, that's it, you know, we'll flip the switch. And No, 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 it comes when God brings it. But he brought it, and he brought it eventually through a man named Duncan Campbell. Duncan Campbell came to the island, he sensed the spiritual temperature, he talked with these people, and he was like, this is it, like, this is what I've been praying for, this is going to happen. So on his first Sunday, he gets up and he preaches, and, you know, it was just a regular Sunday, like, you know, everybody went home, they had lunch, you know, whatever, and and then, because it was part of their culture, they came back for the evening service, he preached again. He's like going, come on, this is going to be it, wasn't it? They all walk out. He's sitting in the church like, what's happening? Until one of the elders comes running in and said, Reverend Campbell, you need to come outside and see this. And he walks outside of the church, 
And all the people had left the building, but they hadn't left the property. It's like God had arrested their leaving. The Spirit had fallen upon them in such a way that they were just broken. And he said, guys, everybody back in the church, come, come on back in the church. And they all came back in, and there was weeping, and there was repenting, and there was the Spirit of the Lord, and the revival began, and it began in that church, and then it spread from that town to all these little towns all over the place. There's this story where somewhere between 1 and 2 a.m., I want you to think about that for a minute. Somewhere between 1 and 2 a.m., like if I'm up between 1 and 2 a.m., sorry, but it is to go to the bathroom, okay? So that's the deal. Between 1 and 2 a.m., they're wrapping up this church service over here, and they get word from somebody from a church service in a town two, three miles away that revival is broken out in that church over there. So Duncan Campbell takes like 200 people from this meeting, and they start cutting across the fields because it's a shortcut to get to the other church. And on the way, they say that they hear the angelic music of heaven. Like the sky just breaks open with song, and they fall to the ground. All of them. Some of them, not Christians, came to faith then. And it wasn't like some of them kept going, oh, what's wrong with you people? You know, like, no, everybody heard it. It's remarkable. The revival spread to other islands. So it spread to the island of Burnaray, which is right next to the Isle of Lewis. And it's amazing how it happened. Duncan Campbell was preaching, 1952, Easter. And he feels like the Lord said to him, you need to go to Burnaray. He didn't know a soul in Burnaray. Nobody had contacted him from Burnaray. He didn't, you know, he had no ability to communicate with any of these people. It was just like God said, you need to go to Burnaray. So he got on a boat after his sermon, two suitcases, by himself, and he went over there. The boatman dropped him off at the dock. He's looking up this bluff that he has to climb up to to get to the plateau of the island. He climbs up with his two suitcases. He gets to the top. He's exhausted. He sets him down, and he's in a farmer's field, and the farmer's son is plowing the field. So he walks over to the boy and said, listen, um, my name's Duncan Campbell. I'm a pastor. Uh, could you get the pastor of your church? Just tell him I'm here. I'm going to need a place to stay. And he said, you know, we haven't had a pastor, sir, in, in years. And he said, well... What about elders? Like, do you have any elders? He said, yeah, I, I know an elder. I, and so he, he said, I'll be right back. So he went and he talked to the elder, and then the boy came running back, grabbed the suitcases, carried them to the elder's house with Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell walks in this guy's house, and the man said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. This is fantastic. I've been advertising for three days. I've reserved the church for 9 o'clock, and they all know Duncan Campbell is coming. And he said, what are you talking about? <laughs> they all know I'm kind of like, who knows I'm coming? He's like, everybody, I've told them all that you're coming. He's like, how did you know I'm coming? He said, well, three days ago, I spent most of the day praying in my barn. I want to stop there for a second. That right there might be the most powerful part of the story. I spent most of the day praying in my barn. That brings revival. That's a realization of the, of the value of the Spirit. Like, that's the kind of thing you do when Jesus makes a statement and he says, listen, you can ask for a lot of things. So you can ask for this and you can add, but if you had to narrow it down to one, like, this is the one. Okay, so ask. Okay, seek. All right, listen, knock. And if your knuckles start to hurt, use your other hand, okay? And then when that doesn't work, use your elbow. And then you've got another elbow. And then you have knees. And then you've got feet, okay? You can hit it with your hip. I don't care. Whatever you have to do, don't stop. 
I spent most of the day praying in my barn. I mean, I love you. When was the last time you spent an hour praying anywhere? Anyway, the man says, I spent most of the day praying in my barn. And he said, and all of a sudden I felt the presence of the Lord. And he said, the Lord said to me, I, you know, I don't, audibly, I don't know. Duncan Campbell, I'm going to send Duncan Campbell to your island. Get ready. And the man said, you know, Lord, I, I don't A, know Duncan Campbell. B, how am I going to find him? I, I don't even know where he is. And so he said to the Lord, listen, but you are God, you know everything, and you can do anything, so send him to me. So Reverend Campbell, I've been telling everybody, you were coming, and, uh, and the church service is at nine. I don't know about you, but I want to live that kind of life. I want to see those kinds of things. I think we do a lot of things that we think are great. Oh, I had this experience and that experience, and I went here and I went there. And listen, you know, that's nice. But what about that? What do you do with stuff like that? Look, we live in a supernatural world. It was supernaturally created. It is supernaturally sustained. And the single greatest gift to be found and known within this world is the spirit, the presence, the living presence of God alive in you through faith in Jesus and through the person of the Holy Spirit. Sit. Jesus is like, ask, seek, knock for him. Look, if you are a Christian, then by definition, you have the spirit doesn't work any other way. But here's what we do with the Spirit. We, we, we ignore the Spirit. We don't believe in the power of the Spirit. Uh, we can marginalize the Spirit. Uh, we can tell the Spirit we'd like to meet with Him when we'd like to meet with Him. You get the idea? We can su- submit to the Spirit or we can put the Spirit aside. And the call of Scripture is be filled with the Spirit. Call upon God to fill you with him. And so here's what that looks like. First of all, you have to have faith in Jesus. You've got to go, hey, you know what? You're right. You kind of described me. I'm like, I'm glad God's there, but only if I need him. And otherwise, I really am not glad that he's there because then I feel like I've got somebody I'm accountable to. And I have lived for myself. And you know what? It's not working. And I do have things that I regret. And I have things that need to be forgiven. And you bring that to him. And you claim the power of his blood, which is absolutely sufficient to cover over absolutely anything. But then beyond that, you believe in the Holy Spirit and you believe that the Holy Spirit is the life of Almighty God who spoke the universe into being and that by his life he lives in you and he gifts you and he empowers the gifts. He speaks, he moves, he communicates. There's nothing holding him back but me or you. You repent of your sin like that man in the barn. You say, Lord, are my hands clean? Okay, they're not. Okay, okay, let's talk about that. Is my heart pure? Okay, no, 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 let's just be honest. It, it, It isn't, but there is a blood of Jesus that is sufficient for that, and you turn from whatever that is, and then you surrender to the Spirit. 
You say, I am thirsty for things that the streams and the waters of this world are not satisfying. Jesus describes the Spirit as as living water, as a stream that, that takes up its residence in your heart and then flows out. There's a fullness to be found in him. And then you ask for him. You ask him to come. And if he doesn't come today, you ask him tomorrow and then the next. You say, fill me, Lord. Fill us. Fill my family. Fill our city. Fill your church. You ask, you seek, you knock. And your good father is perfect. Who only knows how to give good gifts. I mean, Jesus is going, here's what he wants to give you. So let's do that. Father, we come to you and we are thankful for who you are. We're thankful that when you look down upon us and the mess we've each made of our lives individually and collectively, flowers were not enough, card was not enough, a text to call not enough. Lord, in the person of Jesus, you came to claim us and to make us yours, to give us your spirit who changes our hearts and minds and lives. Lord, if there is anybody watching, I, I pray that they would, they would surrender to Christ if they haven't, that they would claim and know his forgiveness and sufficiencies, that they would realize that guilt is gone because he paid authentically the full price for it. There's no price left. But beyond that, I pray that you would give us faith in the power of your spirit and the life of your spirit, which is the life of God within us. Lord, let us not put him in a box. Let us not be excessive, but my goodness, that's not our tendency, is it? Let us not be deficient. That's where most of us are at. Lord, look at our hands and our hearts. See them for what they are. Hear us tell you about them. But cleanse us of them. Cleanse us of them and turn us from the things that we're looking to to satisfy a thirst that are not satisfying the thirst. Lord, we ask you as individuals, we ask you as families, we ask you as a church, we ask as your people that you would fill us individually and as families and as a church and that you would fill your people with you. Send your spirit, God. Fill us up. Gift us. Use us. Take us over. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.